Welcome to the Lord's house today. We are very happy that you're here with us in the Lord's house. And we want to begin our worship, please, with hymn number 12. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory. Let's stand as we praise God this morning. may be seated. It is good to give praise unto the Lord with all our hearts and to especially know that the Lord is coming back again. And we're thankful for that great promise that we have in the Word of God. And even as John the Apostle prayed in the book of Revelation, he said, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. He saw the state of the world in his day. And when he saw that, he said, Lord, we need you to come back quickly. Well, we've advanced a long bit of ground and road from then. 
And yet our prayer continues to be the very same thing. Even so, Lord, come quickly that we might uh, rejoice in the everlasting kingdom of our blessed Savior. Let's still our hearts now, please, before the Lord, and we will come to commit our service unto him. Our loving Father and our gracious God, we bow humbly today in the precious name of our Lord and Savior. We are thankful, Father, for the privilege of prayer that we have this way of communicating and opening our heart and giving thanksgiving and praise to the one who has given us life. Father, as you have opened creative power to us, giving us breath and hearts that beat every day to keep our physical bodies moving and functioning, we are thankful this morning, Lord, for the blessings of health and strength, whatever that measure may be. Help us to rejoice and to give thanks for the daily mercies that come to us. And yet, Father, beyond all that and far excelling all that, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus today. So we know, Lord, that we have been saved by sovereign grace. We know that our sins have been forgiven, Lord, and we know today it is well with our souls. And we would say, as we've been singing, Father, again, even so come, Lord Jesus, and set up the everlasting kingdom for the glory of your name. And we pray that each one of us will live daily in the light of the victory of Calvary, in the victory of the glorious resurrection and the soon return of our Lord Jesus. Father, until then, that we might all be found faithful, serving, thankful for the privileges that are given to us. And we want, Lord, to be soul winners We pray that as the communication of the gospel goes forward from us, from our our testimony, from giving out a tract here or there, whatever it might be, our silent witness, but in all these things, Father, we might be found and be made useful in the extension of your kingdom. Lord, hear our prayer today. Draw near and bless every single person in the service and watching online. May there be a special word of encouragement from the testimony that will be given as we open the Scriptures, write the Word of God upon our hearts. Lord, hear our prayer and save souls today. Lord, this is our cry and our desire. We want in this congregation that we will be a people who are separated unto God, a people who are useful in your kingdom, a people not swayed and taken aside by the sinful things of this world. Lord, we will be kept faithful in our witness, and we will walk holy before you. And this congregation, Father, that you would bless us, you would bind us together in unity, you would give us the joy of fellowship continually, and that we would encourage one another as often as we can. Lord, bless every family represented here because we know that there are unsaved 
loved ones. We often pray for them. And, Father, again we are asking for their salvation. That you would work deeply in the hearts. Perhaps some have drifted away. And, O oh God, bring the word of truth that was sown in their hearts. Bring it back to them with power and draw them uh, to yourself. Lord, hear our prayer today. We give thanks for the blessings that we have enjoyed with our young adult conference over these past couple of days. And dear Father, for every word that was given out by devotion and the messages and in the communication one with another, Lord, bless by your Spirit's power the word to each one who was there. And we thank Father, too, of the gospel that was given out in printed form, the gospel that was given out by way of personal testimony and conversation. Lord, bring in a great harvest. We may never see these people again. We may never cross their paths on earth. May our joy be in glory to see that someone who received a tract, someone who was witness to, Lord, the Holy Spirit would grip their heart and bring them to Christ and we would be able to see them in glory one day. And so, Father, receive our thanks for all your mercies to us. Remember the family who are grieving today. We pray for the Richards family in the loss of a dear father. We pray that you would bless them and help them in all the details that will lead up to the funeral. We ask, Father, to remember the sick ones in our congregation, those closely connected to us in our families. Bless them all and others who have perhaps needs that are spiritual, needs practical that we don't know of. We're thankful, Father, that every detail is known by our Father in heaven. So, Lord, bless us today. Bless us abundantly. Pour out your Spirit on us in every detail of our day. Remember those who are preaching and witnessing in different places. Remember the Schultz family in Barry this morning. Bless them. Remember our brother Cranston in Port Hope. Pour out your Spirit on him. Remember the works across Canada. We think especially of the church in Prince George today and in Williams Lake as their pastor is here with us. Lord, bless them. Hear us now. Encourage our hearts. Receive our thanksgiving and our praise. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in our worship this morning, please, by singing Psalm 95. If you're using our hymnal in the pew, it's at the back of our hymnal. And other than that, the words will be on the screen behind me. 95 Psalm, we will stand as we sing.
for just before we sing this final stanza. Well, the words, of course, of the Psalms are very precious, and the tunes sometimes, well, they're a little bit difficult to connect with. And this one, it seems, you have to take a deep breath and go down about six steps to get the first note, and then you try to fill your lungs and give praise to the Lord. But nonetheless, we do so because the words, they are very precious as we lift our thanksgiving and our worship unto the Lord. Oh, come and let us worship him. Let us bow down with all and on our knees before the Lord, our maker, let us fall. Let's sing this final verse. ask you to turn, please, in your Bibles now to Psalm 32. We're hovering around the Psalms this morning as we have sung, and we will read for our congregational reading Psalm 32. This is a blessed psalm as David was reflecting on what it meant for him to know that he was saved by the grace of God that he understood what it meant to have his sins forgiven. And there was no question, no doubt in David's mind whatsoever what that meant. God did not require his sin of him anymore because they had been taken away. And, of course, David was looking forward to his Messiah. He was looking forward to the cross. And all of the work that Christ was yet to do he still understood and realized it applied to him. And that is true of every Old Testament saint. They knew what it was to be saved by the Lord's grace. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin." Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, 
whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. May God bless, we know he will, the public reading of his word for his own name's sake. Very happy that you're here with us in our morning worship time. You are most welcome in Jesus' name. And if you're here for the first time in our service, we want you to know you're very, very welcome. We're glad that you're here with us. And though I don't have your name, well, we'll certainly get to meet up with you at the end of the meeting today. And those viewing our service online today, maybe you have tuned in for the first time. You've come back to join with us. We're very, very happy that you are here. Pleased also that Pastor Andrew Simpson, who is the minister of our Prince George congregation, is ministering the word today and this morning and tonight. He's been with us for our young adult conference that started last Wednesday. I'll say a bit more about that just in a moment. We want to welcome those who have come to be with us because of that conference. We have two of our brethren who have joined us from our Mexico City congregation. Uh, Manuel is going to be sharing a word of testimony in the service in a short time, and Josue is also uh, joining us, and we're thankful that these men have been here. And Elijah Foreman from the Prince George Church, we're glad that he has uh, been with us for these few days. And uh, also we have Audrey Munger, who is with us this morning, and she's from our Winston-Salem congregation. And Audrey, well, she won't be with us tonight in the service. She has to go back this afternoon uh, down south to take up her work Monday morning. But uh, we're going to have all of the folks who were involved in that conference singing in the service tonight, and we trust that that will be a blessing to everyone who will be in the evening service. Please remember also... Brother James Fraser and his wife Diana. James is in Calgary preaching the Word of God for three Lord's Days, and I know he would greatly appreciate your prayers for him. The Schultz family, who is also with us, they are missionaries in the Czech Republic, have been ministering there since 2008, establishing a free Presbyterian witness there. Uh, he is witnessing, ministering today in Barrie, and they will be with us in the evening service tonight. And we also have a fellowship time after the evening service, so please don't forget about that. A word of condolence from our congregation uh, regarding the passing of Mr. Don Richards. Don is the brother-in-law of Mrs. McClellan, and we want to extend to the McClellan family, to the Richards family, our condolences in the passing of Don Richards. Do remember them. We don't have any details of the funeral yet, and when we get those, we'll pass them along to the congregation. Remember, please, in your prayers, Anna and Isabel, as they are recovering, both of them from hip surgery, and we pray that God's hand would continue to be upon them. Remember them in your prayer. Remember also a man by the name of Brooks. 
He is the son of a lady who attends our Calgary congregation, and uh, she has asked for prayer for Brooks. Uh, He is in the Toronto area right now, and she's just seeking prayer for her son that the Lord's hand would be upon him and would help him at this time. Well, let me give you a brief report of our meetings we've enjoyed over this past week. Starting Wednesday night, we had a combined meeting of our Young Adult Conference. We've been planning this for almost a year. We've been very encouraged by everyone who's been able to take part in these meetings. Wednesday night was a joint meeting of our prayer meeting and also uh, the young adults who were there. And then Thursday morning, we uh, went on a trip to Niagara Falls. We did some outreach in Niagara Falls with an opportunity of fellowship and then also viewing the sites around there, and came back for Thursday evening for a meeting here in the church. And the theme of the conference, if you've seen the posters have been on the wall of the church for some time, well, it has to do with are you just staying behind, are you on the starting line, or are you going forward in the service of Christ? And all of the services, the messages that we've been hearing have been really focused on that theme and we've been greatly blessed of the Lord by the ministry of our brother Simpson. And then on Friday, we went to uh, Niagara Falls. Well, that was Thursday. We went down to Center Island on Friday and did again some more outreach and some very unusual opportunities opened up for personal witnessing, giving out the gospel, and do pray that the Lord would bless uh, every gospel word that was given out, written or in the spoken form, and there will be much fruit from that. Yesterday, we had an outing up north, and it's good to see that all of those who were there are seated and in their right mind, and there's no casts on their arms or legs, and they're, uh, they're all sort of, they're all dried off. They looked a bit rough yesterday, some of them. Uh, they were trying to fulfill the scripture, mounting up with wings as eagles and flying, Well, they didn't fly too well. They came splashing down in the water. But anyways, we had a good time, and it was a safe time, and a great time of fellowship, and it was a blessed opportunity to be together. Remember today, please, at 5.50, there will be our pre-service prayer time, and the evening service will be at 6.30, and our brother Simpson will be the preacher tonight. And also, we're going to have a testimony by Dr. Abby Schultz. She'll be sharing the word with us tonight by testimony. And then there will be a fellowship time for the entire congregation after the evening service tonight. So please remember all of these meetings. We will be gathering around the communion table at the close of this service this morning. And if you know the Lord as your Savior, if you've been born again, you're welcome to remain and have fellowship with us and remember the Lord's table in his own inspired and uh, prescribed way. And if you are not a believer, you're welcome to remain and observe, but we ask you not to take the bread or the juice as it is passed around. Those are all the ministry announcements that we have for you at this time. It's a joy, again, I said, to welcome two of our men here from Mexico City, and uh, Brother Manuel Flores is going to come now and share a word of testimony. Brother, you come up. It's been a great joy to uh, be able to see these men 
We connected with them through our Connect Fellowship that started, well, halfway through COVID. We wanted to have a way of outreach to the youth in our denomination, and through a connection that we've had here from our Toronto church down to Mexico, these brethren were able to join us at times, and it was great to see them. We said, we've got to have a conference. We must get together when all this is over. And so we planned this, and we're very happy that uh, two of our men are here with us. And so, brother, you're very welcome. Giving us sharing a word of testimony. Please be uh, feel at home. Thank you, brother. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's an honor for me to be here. Uh, I'm very thankful that you have asked me to share my testimony this time. For some, they will share the exact time and hour the Lord saved me, that saved them. But honestly, for me, I just identify a season or the year when that happened. Because God has worked on me progressively. I grew up in a regular Catholic home in a very small city, and by regular I mean not practicing. Um, when I was about 10 years old, my parents, older brother and I, got into a charismatic church, invited by, by an aunt. We stayed there uh, for approximately 13 years. In this place, in this place, I met Lalo Peña, uh, now, who is now a pastor of the F FPC, and who would lead me later to the church the Redeemer FPC, which I now attend in Mexico City, where, the, where Jason Boyle is the pastor. I believe that the Lord, in his common grace, allowed me to have a happy childhood, a peaceful life, and to be, um, to be instructed in moral values by my parents. And for that moment, being in a charismatic church, I started being taught some biblical stories, but also a deluded gospel where I have a value as a person because I decided to accept Christ in my heart, uh, something we know it's not what the Bible says. As Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. There were many verses that I learned by memory, and I didn't know the true meaning of them. There was not a good doctrine, as everything, um, as everything revolved around the way we felt and just being nice, reshaping the church to the ways of the world in order to attract the most people possible. So there I was, not so bad to be full in the world, giving pleasure to the flesh, but also not so good to read my Bible every day, quitting swear words, and be more than a nominal Christian who just attended church on Sundays to play the guitar in the worship team. And life was just passing by. There was a time when some leaders in that church started studying the Reformed doctrines and doctrines of grace, one of which was Lalo Peña, who left the church and told my parents the true reasons of his leaving that church. My parents left too, and so did I a couple of weeks after them. But I want you to know how dangerous it is to leave a church just focusing on, what's, on what was wrong and not seeking the true gospel, sound doctrine, and mainly to seek God. For that time, 
I had to move for six months to another city to finish my thesis and graduate from college. I was not attending any church, and my life was still passing by. I was lukewarm. Again, I still consider myself not so good, but also not so bad. Or that's what I wanted to believe. But, I, but now I see that the Lord was merciful to me because he stopped me for, from immersing myself in a life of sin, which will lead me to very bad consequences. We know the Lord takes care of us even before he saves our souls. When I got back to my homeland, Cordoba, I was preached by a big truth that every human has to know. No matter how good you think you are, there is no way for a man to be accepted by a God who is holy and who demands perfection in order to be allowed into his glory. A perfection unreachable, of course, to mankind, but it is possible through Jesus Christ who paid for our sins and applied his justice to us all who truly repent from our sins. I understood that you don't have to be a murderer or an addict to be against God, that living moral life wasn't enough, and that my years in a church were not going to save me. I knew I had to repent, but I was putting it off. Somehow my mother noticed I was lukewarm, and she never stopped me, telling me that I had to look after my salvation, and I thank God for that, for it was his mercy as well. In 2015, I attended a teenager's conference where the preacher invited us to close our eyes and ask those who wanted to repent to raise their hands. So I did. I raised my hand. Uh, with many doubts in my mind about the salvation I thought I had before, but then the preacher asked those who raised their hands to come to the front so that he can pray for them. And I didn't want to do it because there were people at the conference who knew me, and for many years I claimed to be a Christian and suddenly be asking for salvation. I stayed in my seat with a war in my heart and mind, ashamed and feeling guilty, and when the service ended, I didn't move. Just watching all the people leave the place, and one young guy came to me and told me, hey, I saw you raised your hand, but why didn't you go to the front? I said, I don't know. I have many doubts, uh, but I really want to change. Then I faced the hardest question I have ever had to answer in my life. Where do you think you will go if you die tonight? And I said again, I don't know. But everyone knows the answer to that. The problem is that unbelievers choose not to think about the state of their soul. And that's when I realized my whole Christian life was a lie. I told to myself, I prefer to believe the existence of a God according to my own thoughts and preferences. And I asked the Lord to help me have a real change, a true salvation, not just being a nice guy, but being adopted by him as his son. From that point onwards, I started to understand the Bible in the light of sound doctrine, and I wanted to have communion with true Christians. I would like to share one of my favorite passages which has spoken to me. It is in John 6, 65 from, from 65 to 69. 
John 6, from 65 to 69. These are words from the Lord Jesus. 65 says, And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Where shall we go? What shall we seek? I want to encourage you to not trust your good works, your attendance to church, or your parents' faith, but trust only Jesus and his righteousness. In 2017, the Lord allowed me to move to Mexico City. There I have been attending Pastor Boyle's church. I have seen the mercy and grace of God to me through many brothers and the church that I believe the Lord has put me in. And Pastor Jason Boyle, who has taken care of my spiritual growth in the last seven years. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Manuel, for sharing that today. And do pray for him and pray for the work in Mexico City that the Lord would bless and prosper the work that's going on there and encourage us and the Lord encourage them as well. We're going to sing number 408, please. And we will stand as we worship the Lord. 408 verses 1 and 3. seated. 
It's good to see Sharon back in the service with us today. We've been praying for her. She was in the hospital last Lord's Day and uh, still awaiting some tests to be done, but we're thankful for the Lord's hand upon you. We also rejoice with the Delina family because they had a scare this past week as their young son, Azriel, well, he went out of the home and drifted away a bit, and there was a lot of excitement and a lot of prayer that went up that he would be brought safely back home. But we're thankful that God answered prayer in that regard, and young Azrael is safe as well back home. Joy for us to have Pastor Andrew Simpson in our pulpit again, and we pray that God would bless his ministry to us today and also tonight as we have enjoyed his ministry this past week. He is the minister of our Prince George congregation in British Columbia and also oversees the work in Williams Lake. And uh, we have been following in prayer our brother's ministry and work, and we're very thankful he's with us today to give us the word of the Lord. So, brother, please come. You're very, very welcome here already. May I invite you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me this morning to John's Gospel in the chapter number 3. The Gospel of John, the chapter number 3. And as you're turning in your Bibles, can I thank your minister and the elders here for the opportunity to come, not just to this conference, but also to come here in the Lord's Day and preach the Word of God. I believe the last time I was here was in May 2019, and the Lord has done great things for our congregation in Prince George since then. And we're also so thankful for what the Lord has done this week in our youth conference. You have a wonderful group of young people in the church here in Toronto, and it's been wonderful meeting other young people from the churches across North America as well. May the Lord help us even to pray for them, even as the conference draws to a close. Let's read together from John chapter 3, and we'll read here beginning to the verse number 1, and let us hear the word of the Lord this morning. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again." The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And the Lord bless the public reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Would you bow with me, please, for a moment in prayer? And we'll seek the Lord's help uh, upon this message even this morning. Gracious and eternal God, we do come into thy presence this morning. And Father, we realize the monumentous task that is before us to rightly divide the word of truth. We pray, O God, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. We pray that this would be a Spirit-filled meeting where we know the Spirit of God moving from the preacher's heart to those who are in the pew. We pray, Lord, especially for those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who have never been born again, Lord, those who perhaps this morning as they woke up, as they came to the house of God, had no thought of God Himself, had no desire to sing His praise, but were merely going through a sense of ritual and formality, and do not possess within them the reality of the Holy Ghost living within. Father, we pray, oh, this morning that they would be born from above, that they would be born of God. Is this not surely the great need of this day? that there would be an awakening among those who would attend our churches, that there would be an awakening right across this nation from coast to coast, that God would come again and build up His church and strengthen her. Lord, bless us this morning. I lift up the prayer of the psalmist. Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Help us, Lord, even now. For thy name's sake we ask these things. Amen and amen. So far in this series of messages together, we have considered, first of all, the structure of the church. What is a true church? And then on Thursday and Friday with just the young people, we consider together the saints' involvement in the church, that we are to be servants in the local congregation, not just spectators. Then we considered the struggles in the church that we do not just leave a faithful church whenever trouble comes, but rather we remain faithful to it. This morning, I want you to consider with me the subject of the salvation of the church. The reason for this message, which will be more of an evangelical exhortation, is because it is possible to attend a faithful church. It is possible also to become involved in that congregation And it is also possible for you to have stayed in that congregation when others would have left. And yet, throughout all of those good things and right things, yet not be born again. 
not have ever known what it is to have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, not ever to have known the reality of the very thing that you're coming to do within the body of the local congregation. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who spoke in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he spoke that parable how that in the one field there would be the good wheat and there would be the bad crop, the tares. And instead of dividing it at that very moment, he, he holds off until the harvest is ripe. And then whenever the harvest is ripe, he then divides and separates the wheat from the tares. And so then within the one field, the one congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is possible that there are both the wheat those who are truly converted and born again, and those who are the tares, those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also spoke in the New Testament about the visible and the invisible church. And he said concerning that, that not all Israel were Israel. He meant by that, that there are those who visibly attach themselves to the church, whether by coming into the church or whether by being born into the church, but that is as far as it goes. They never truly enter into Christ and therefore never truly enter into the invisible church and become a part of their number. They may be appear to be a part of the church, but their heart is far from God. And I wonder as we are in this introduction this morning, let me issue, this, let me issue the, you this challenge. Is that you this morning? You've got up this morning. You've got dressed, perhaps in your regular routine. You've come to the house of God. You've, you've come to meet with those all around about you. And yet, you aren't really a, a member of this church. You have not really been united to the Lord Jesus Christ by saving faith. You come and you make up the number, but you're not a number of the redeemed of Jesus Christ. Well, I pray this morning that you would heed this message, and it would be an alarm to your soul that ye must be born again that you will never see the kingdom of heaven. You will not so much as lay an eye on it unless you first come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Now, as we make our way through this message this morning, there are five points that I want to draw out for you concerning the, the account of Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to consider, first of all, the introductions between Christ and Nicodemus. Then, secondly, the exhortation to Nicodemus given by Christ. Then thirdly, the illustrations used by Christ. Fourthly, the questions then asked by Nicodemus. And then finally, the revelation given by Christ. Look with me first of all here at the opening verses concerning the introduction between Christ and Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, there's three things that I want to draw out for you here concerning Nicodemus. Notice, first of all, his class, his class. It says concerning him that he was a Pharisee and he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, one of the best descriptions and examples of a Pharisee in Scripture is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. We have that parable of the Pharisee and the publican going to the temple to pray. And notice the character and the attitude of the Pharisee. He stands in that temple and he prays with himself. 
He is an individual that has no saving relationship with God. Because even when he goes to God's temple, and even when he begins to pray to God, his words are not going any further than the echo around about him. He is praying with himself in verse 11, chapter 18 of Luke. And then he begins in his pride to say, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. And instead of basing his prayer upon the Word of God, instead of approaching God with humility, he looks to the publican, and he uses the publican as the basis of his prayer. He says, God, I am not like this man, an extortioner. I am not like this man who is unjust, who would hang around with the adulterers or the riffraff of society. In other words, what he was saying is this, God, I thank you that I am upright and righteous. I thank you that I'm righteous. He then begins to go on more about his own righteousness. I fast twice in the week. That's above and beyond of what was required. I give tithes of all that I possess. And that means that he went, it's not just that he had his total income and gave 10%, but rather everything he owned, everything that he brought in, whether it would be seed, whether it would be money, whether it would be clothing, he would give a tithe of everything in every part of he possessed. Again, over and above of what was required. And yet he did not know God. These things were of no benefit to his soul or to his spiritual state. But then we also see concerning Nicodemus that he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, as you read through John's gospel, you'll find that when the Lord Jesus Christ is brought before the Sanhedrin, that Nicodemus was actually one of the rulers on the Sanhedrin. And at that time, he stands up and he defends the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it says that he is a ruler of the Jews, it means that he is a member of that 70-man council that the Roman government permitted to work out more of the cultural and religious disputes that the people in Judah at that time would have. And so he is a ruler of the Jews. But notice also with me his covenant blessings, his covenant blessings. He was a Jew. He was a ruler of the Jew. He was in covenant with God. And if we are to draw parallels between this old covenant that he was a member of and the new covenant, we might say, well, this man was a member of God's covenant community. He was a member of the visible church. He had been raised up through the synagogue. He had been attending the temple as per required of him. And more than likely, if you looked at him in his keeping of the laws of Pharisee, you would say, this man surely is righteous before God. Surely he is one who has been accepted by God. Look at the blessings on his life. And that really was a summary of their religion, the Pharisees. If you were blessed in life, that meant you were blessed of God. And so they would say, look at this man. He's in the church, so to speak. He's among the people of God. He's in that covenant community. He had all of these blessings. He was also circumcised. He'd received the sign of the covenant. He was one who had been marked out and received the sign that he was to be a part of God's people, but he had not internalized that sign. Although he had received the outward mark of circumcision, the reality of circumcision obviously had never taken place in his heart. And I say that again to emphasize to you what I meant in my introduction, 
that it is possible for you to attach yourself to the people of God. It is possible for you to be among the community of the saints and yet not actually be a saint. It is possible for you even to receive the external signs of religion that are meant to represent an internal reality and yet not have possessed that reality. But notice thirdly then, his concern. His concern. Nicodemus, it says, concerning in the verse number 2, the same came to Jesus by night. Now, why did Nicodemus come to the Lord Jesus Christ at night? There's three possibilities of why Nicodemus would have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one is this, that he was from Northern Ireland, that he was an Ulsterman, and he saw nothing wrong with getting up in the middle of the night and going to somebody's house, as we are accustomed to do. Now, that's obviously not likely. But the second two, some would say that as a leader or a ruler of the Sanhedrin, it was his responsibility to go around to question, to interrogate, and also restrict those who would seek to rise up as teachers in the community. And that's why he's coming to him. That's why he addresses him as rabbi and so on. The third view, and I believe the most likely and I'm most convinced of, is because this was a man who was burdened. This was a man who had a great concern upon his soul. This was a man who had an itching question, a burning question on his heart. And I believe the question was this, am I truly a part of the kingdom of God? Am I truly a part of the Lord's people? Has God truly received me, and has He brought me to be His own? I say that because although Nicodemus begins very politely, Rabbi, and he makes an acknowledgment there that Jesus Christ truly had taught such things, that he must be recognized as a teacher. We know that there are teacher come from God. He makes an admission that the Lord Jesus Christ had been sent by God. But when Christ responds to him, the Lord Jesus Christ just cuts right through that. No formalities, none of the polite introductions. And he looks at Nicodemus and he says, listen, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's why I believe Nicodemus came concerned. Because the Lord Jesus Christ went right to the very problem that he had, which was the problem of his heart. He went right to the very heart of the matter, which was the heart of Nicodemus, which had this burning doubt, am I truly a part of the people of God? Will I ever be in the kingdom of God itself? He could have come at any other time. The Pharisees were always surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have come in that official capacity as a ruler of the Jews, but no, he comes at night because he couldn't put it off. He couldn't leave it. And my friend, whenever the Spirit of God is striving with your heart and striving with your soul, the worst thing you can do is go to sleep. The worst thing that you can do is procrastinate. The worst thing you can do is simply put it off. Even in this meeting, as the Spirit of God perhaps is moving upon your heart and moving upon your soul, don't delay. Even now in the pew, cry unto God to save you, and He will have mercy upon you. The Lord Jesus Christ got right to the very heart of this issue. And so we see here then, secondly, the exhortation 
that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to Nicodemus. Verse number 3, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice in this statement, in this exhortation that Jesus gives, he lays out a very clear precondition. He leaves Nicodemus in no doubt. Nicodemus, you will not so much as see the kingdom of God if you have not been born again. Nicodemus, there is absolutely no possibility of you ever getting into God's kingdom unless you first know what it is to be born again of the Spirit of God. What does it mean then when he speaks about this new birth? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he speaks to him, he's telling him that a sovereign work of God needs to take place in the life of Nicodemus. Now, where do I see that? Well, notice with me the term there, the phrase, to be born again. It's really one word in the Greek, and it means anothen. And it speaks of somebody who is born from above. Nicodemus, you need to be born from above. Nicodemus, this is not a work that you can do by looking inward. This is a work that must be done by you looking heavenward and looking to God alone. And so he's saying to Nicodemus that the new birth is a sovereign work of God alone. It cannot be engineered. It cannot be orchestrated. It cannot be brought about by the whim or wants of men. It is God who does the work. And then he also applies this. He says, listen, this sovereign work of salvation, it's a personal work. Because he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse number 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is being specific. He's not just making general application. No, again, he's addressing Nicodemus with all of his blessings, with all of the reputation that he had, possibly with everybody thinking, if anybody, if there was anybody to get into the kingdom of God, it would be Nicodemus. And yet Jesus Christ looks to this man and says, ye must be born again. Oh, dear young person, perhaps you were raised in a Christian home, brought up in a godly family, sat in these pews from your very earliest of age. Let me say to you this morning that you will never see the kingdom of God except you are born again. You will never know what it is to enter into the joy and the peace and the blessing of this sovereign work having been done except you have been born again of the Spirit of God. Have you been born again? Has there been the experience and the evidence of the new birth in your life? He then also says that this is a necessary work. You must be born again. The Lord Jesus Christ is emphatic. Nicodemus, you must, you must be born again. Somebody once asked George Whitfield, why do you preach so much upon the subject of you must be born again? And his reply to that, which I'm sure you all know, was because ye must be born again. And we could read this verse a thousand times, but my friend, the emphasis must continually be brought to the forefront of our hearts and lives. Ye must be born again. You will never see the kingdom of God except you are born again. And so it calls us to examine our hearts. Do we truly know the Lord? Do we truly know the Lord? Oh, ye must be born again. In many ways, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to Nicodemus, and he is just hammering this home. 
He's hammering it home. Some of you men that work with your hands, you know what it is to take a nail, and perhaps you put that nail and you're putting it into a knot or something like that, and it's very hard to, to hit in. And what do you do? You just take that hammer and you just keep beating it and beating it and beating it. Why? Because you want to drive it home. You want to drive it in. You want to secure that structure. And so, my friend, again, to drive it home to your heart this morning, I say to you, you must be born again. The Lord Jesus Christ in this conversation with Nicodemus was essentially saying to him, Nicodemus, you are not going where you think you're going. You're not going where you think you're going. And dear young person, dear older person, with all of the blessings that God has given to you, unless this sovereign, personal, and necessary work has taken place in your life, then you are not going where you think you're going. But thirdly, notice with me the illustrations that the Lord Jesus Christ used. Nicodemus was having a hard time understanding what the Lord Jesus Christ meant, and we can take great encouragement from that. If you go out to evangelize and you try to present the gospel this way and the person just doesn't get it, you can become discouraged. Well, here we have the greatest evangelist who ever lived, who could read the hearts of men, and yet still Nicodemus just did not understand the nature of this new birth. And so the Lord Jesus gives to him three illustrations, three illustrations or three analogies. Notice the first one in verse number three, except a man be born again. He gives to him the analogy of birth. And what he's trying to do is he's using these analogies to teach Nicodemus more about what this work of the new birth is and that needs to take place. And so to be born again is like being born. Now, whenever you and I were born, we were completely passive in our birth. You did not choose when to be conceived. You were not in your mother's womb with a watch saying, well, I'll just hang on for a few more days in here because it's nice and cozy. No, you did not have control. You did not have thought. It was God who sovereignly conceived you in your mother's womb, knit you together in your mother's womb, and then chose the very day in which you would be delivered. Birth is completely a sovereign act of God. And so again, the Lord Jesus Christ is helping Nicodemus see, Nicodemus, this is not something that you need to do by going back to the law. This is not something that you can orchestrate or engineer yourself or perfect. This is something that God must do within your heart. And then he gives the analogy of water. The analogy of water. And he says there in verse number 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. And so he brings those two things together, the water and the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, What's the water here? Well, there are many cults that would say this water speaks of baptism, that you are not born again until you enter through the waters of baptism. But what does the Scripture say concerning this term? It's simply saying here, water. So what does the rest of Scripture say concerning about being born again and the use of water in our new birth? Well, read with me, if you would, in the book of Ezekiel. Or let me read it to you. Ezekiel chapter 36 and the verse number 25. 
God is speaking, and He says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Notice the connection between the water, the sprinkling, being made clean, and God cleansing us. And then He says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. Now, this is exactly the same as John chapter 3. We have the water in verse 25, and we have the Spirit in verse number 26. Verse 27, he goes on to say, and I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to keep my statutes. And so, we have water and Spirit. Now, what is taking place here in verse number 25? God is cleansing the individual, and it's not literal water that's being used. It's the water is being used as an analogy or a metaphor to describe the internal work that God will do, just as water being sprinkled or poured upon people washes them. So, God by His Spirit will come, and He will sprinkle the water of His Spirit upon your heart, and He will cleanse your heart and wash away your sin. And then He will put in you His Holy Spirit. And so, He cleanses you from the filthiness of the flesh, and He puts in you His Holy Spirit. Now, go with me to more light in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3 and the verse number 5. And here we have this wonderful passage concerning the saving grace of God. And we have, in a large part, what is called the order of salvation here. Notice this order of how God takes a sinner from being a sinner to making him a saint. In verse number 5, this salvation is not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. It's a sovereign act of God. It begins with Him. And how does He do it? How does He save us? By the washing of regeneration. Now, that term regeneration is the New Testament term that applies back to Ezekiel, where it says that He will both wash us and put His Spirit within us. And that's what's taking place here. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. See again, the water and the Spirit. And so, my friend, when God saves a sinner, what does He do? He cleanses the sinner. Just as you would wash yourself from the dirt and stains that you pick up throughout the week, and the water cleanses you and makes you clean, so God, by the power of His Spirit, cleanses your heart cleanses you from the filthiness of that old nature that dominates you and controls you. And then He puts in you a new spirit, a new desire, a new attitude to live for God. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to Nicodemus, you need to be washed. You need to be cleansed from your sin, and you need the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Now, again, I come back to it. This was a man that you would want to be your neighbor this is a man that you would want to live beside you because he would never rob you. He would never steal from you. He would be the most upright person because of his meticulous keeping of the law. And yet it's to him Nicodemus says you need to be, or Christ says, you need to be washed. You need to be washed. It was to this man who'd received the sign of the covenant. It was to this man that had been in God's covenant community all of his life. And yet he did not have the Spirit of God dwelling within. Well, my friend, I say to you this morning, you need to be washed from your sin. You need to have that heart cleansed. 
You need to have that old nature washed and cleansed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in order to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. And praise God, it doesn't end there, because in Titus we're regenerated by the Holy Ghost. Then we are justified by His grace. Then we are made heirs, adopted into His kingdom. And then we are sanctified, made good and profitable unto men. This is a full and free salvation that Christ gives. Has your heart been washed this morning? Have you been cleansed? Is there not a great encouragement in that? Is there a young man in this meeting in your heart, you know it, is full of sin? You know this morning that your heart is a complete bondage to sin. You have no victory over it in your life. Whatever you desire, that is what you do. Whatever sin tempts you, you simply give in. Why? Because you've never been washed from your filthiness. You've never had that Spirit put within to live for God. Well, here is the good news of the gospel this morning. If you feel that weight and burden of sin upon you, you can be washed. You can be cleansed. There's a young woman in this meeting this morning, and perhaps you have your parents' approval. Perhaps your parents are proud. They see your success. They look at you in the outward and they, they're so proud how you've grown and matured and blossomed into a young woman. And yet you know your heart. You know your thoughts. You know your desires. You know your temptations. You know the sins that you do to gratify yourself. You can be washed this morning. You can be cleansed. You can leave this meeting with a new heart. You can leave this meeting this morning with that old heart of stone, as it says in Ezekiel, being removed and receiving a heart of flesh. You come into these meetings and you sit with a heart of stone. And as the preacher preaches, it just doesn't affect you. As the hymns are being sung, they do not thrill your soul. As you see other Christian young people or older saints talking about the things of God, it's, there's just a disconnect between you and them. You desire that heart to be removed? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ today, and this sovereign work of God can be done in your heart. But then he also gives the illustration of wind, of birth, of water, and of wind. And he says in verse number 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, where it wants. And you can hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell whence it cometh. And so he begins to use the analogy of wind and he begins to employ certain characteristics that wind possesses. First of all, wind is not accountable to man. Notice it says, it blows where it wants. You cannot go out and say to the wind, stop. You cannot go out when you're trying to sow out your garden and just ask the wind to calm down for a moment when it's blowing. You cannot go down to your lake and so on if you have a sailing boat and say, well, I hope we have a good windy day to catch the, the wind within the seals. You have no power over it. It's not accountable to man. And so the Spirit of God is not accountable to men and women. Because there are people that say, listen, I know I need to be washed. I know I need the Holy Spirit. I know I need to be born again. But I will wait. Do you know what essentially you're saying? You're making God nothing more than your own receptionist saying to him, I will call you when I want, 
But for now I will tell you to go away because that is what I want. And yet the Spirit of God is not accountable to you. You're not guaranteed of a deathbed repentance. You're not guaranteed that as the Spirit of God is striving today and this morning that the Spirit of God will strive with you tomorrow or the next Lord's day. Does the Scriptures not say today if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Does it not say, seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Because there's a time when He can't be found. And there may come a time when He is not near. The Spirit of God in the new birth is not accountable to man, but also it is irresistible. It is irresistible. Again, you cannot go out and tell the wind to stop. You cannot go out and tell the wind to change direction. You can do things to shield yourself from the wind, but you have no power over the wind itself. And that ought to be a great encouragement for every parent here today that has an unsaved child, unsaved family member, that the Spirit of God is stronger than the rebellion of your child's heart, that the grace that saves is irresistible, and the grace that saves can go into a heart that has been so hardened by the gospel and a neck that has been so turned and is stubborn and can turn them in a moment. It is irresistible. It's also unpredictable. He says you cannot tell whence it cometh. You cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. It blows here and it blows there. And so the Spirit of God can come this morning and can strive with your heart, and yet you're not guaranteed again that it will come again and strive with you. Genesis chapter 6, My spirit shall not always strive with man. But it is also unseeable. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell whence it cometh. You can see the effects of wind. You can see the trees blowing. You can see the leaves blowing down the street. But you can't actually see the wind itself. And so the Spirit of God perhaps is moving even on this meeting this morning. And perhaps the Spirit of God, blinded to our eye, is moving upon your heart and soul. Oh, I urge you today, I I, I stress it again with great importance, you will never see the kingdom of God except you have been born again. This is the new birth. This is a sovereign work of God in which you are passive just like your own birth. This is a work that thoroughly changes the sinner. It is personal to you because God washes you and fills you with His Spirit. And it is a work done by the working off the wind, His Holy Spirit. But fourthly, Notice the questions that Nicodemus had. In verse number 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? First question. Second question in verse number 10, or verse number 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? He still didn't understand the sovereign, personal, necessary work of the new birth within a sinner's heart. And I believe that reminds us that intelligence does not guarantee spiritual insight. Nicodemus did not get to where he was because he was slow. Nicodemus did not get to where he was without hard work, study, and diligence to be a ruler of the Jews, to be a part of that 70 
the Supreme Court of Israel, if we could use that language. But it didn't mean that he understood the gospel. Why is that? Is it about intelligence? Is it that some people just, it just clicks for them, and other people it doesn't? You know the way some people, whenever you're, you're training them up, and you have to teach people different ways, there's some people they can learn just by looking at a, a chalkboard or a whiteboard and just watching somebody, but other people need something in front of them. They need to actually have things to work with and so on to actually understand Is that the case with the gospel, that some people understand it because of the preaching of the Word, but other people it's just too difficult to comprehend through preaching? It's not about the mind, it's about the heart. The Pharisees were filled with pride. We read that in Luke 18. And Jesus said, except ye become as little children, ye shall never enter into the kingdom of God. And so, my friend, this morning, perhaps you're still not getting it. Perhaps this is still going over to the top of your head, and you're just not comprehending it. It's not about the mind. It's about the heart. And you need to go into your heart, and you need to humble yourself before God. You need to submit yourself to His Word and to His will. And you need to come to Him as a little child and receive this wonderful work by faith and faith alone. But also his position did not give him this understanding. All of the things of life that he had received, all of those blessings, it did not give him this spiritual understanding. This was a man who knew the Word, but he didn't know the way. This was a man that knew his prophecy, but not the person that would fulfill those prophecies. This was a man that knew the law of God, but he did not have the love of God in his heart. Oh, again, I stress to you that it is so possible to be the most astute theologian. It is possible for you to have Scripture memorization above and beyond even what a Christian would, and yet not be born again. The Lord Jesus Christ continues to help Nicodemus, and with this we'll just step through these in closing, and with this we'll close. But in order to help Nicodemus one further time, and to have it written down for you and and for me today, he finally gives him some more revelation. And so we've thought together about the introduction that there was between Nicodemus and Christ. We thought together about the exhortation, you must be born again, that Jesus Christ gave to Nicodemus. We thought about the illustrations of birth, of water, and of wind that Christ used to help Nicodemus understand. And yet still the questions that Nicodemus had upon his heart. But now Christ gives some further revelation, and he reveals four things. First of all, verse 13, he reveals unto him his deity. He says to Nicodemus, listen, I'm telling you with earthly analogies of heavenly things. How are you ever going to understand the greater heavenly things if you can't understand this? Nicodemus, this is elementary. This is elementary. You're not understanding it. And so, with further revelation, he reveals his deity. Verse number 13, he says, And no man hath ascended up into heaven. That's a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 12 
how that there was no need for prophets to go to heaven to receive revelation because God had come down from above and spoken. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, listen, no man has ever needed to ascend up into heaven to receive divine revelation, but there is one who has come down from heaven. He is the Son of Man who has come down from heaven, and if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have heard my words, you have heard the Father's will. And yet he says, which is in heaven. So this divine revelation in the person of Jesus Christ has come down from the Father to earth in Christ, and yet he says that Christ is in heaven. Now, he wasn't in heaven because he was standing in front of Nicodemus. But Jesus says, as he's standing in front of Nicodemus, that he's in heaven. The only way to square that circle, so to speak, is to understand that Jesus Christ had that true human nature, that He had that local bodily presence right before Nicodemus, but He also had that divine nature. And as the Father and Spirit would be in glory and in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I and my Father are one. The members of the eternal Godhead are co-equal, co-eternal, and they can never be severed or separated. And so Jesus Christ is able to say that I am on earth, but I am in heaven because I and my Father are one. And he's making a very clear statement of his own deity to Nicodemus. I am God. Then he also speaks about his death. In verse number 14, as Moses would lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We know that story in the Old Testament. The serpents come through the camp of Israel to punish them for their sin. Those that were, were bitten would die. But God told Moses to make that bronze and serpent, and whoever would look would live. And so Jesus Christ is saying that He too would be lifted up, just like the bronze and serpent would be lifted up before all of Israel and all of the world. So Jesus Christ would be lifted up, and if you looked with faith, you would live. And then He tells of great deliverance. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, dear friend, this morning there is the promise of God to you. You would perhaps think to yourself this morning that this new birth is a sovereign act of God alone, that you are passive within that new birth, and perhaps you might walk away, and even some preachers and denominations would let you walk away as if you had no hope as if there was nothing for you to respond to. And yet here is Jesus Christ, and He's saying, believe, believe. He emphasizes again man's responsibility. And He puts this here as a promise to you, as an invitation to you. Come and believe. Come and believe. You want the new birth to take place in your heart. You want to be born from above. You want to know what it is to be washed and to have the Spirit put within you. Look by faith to Jesus Christ and believe in the Son of God, and believe that He can save you. And my friend, today, if you leave this church believing in Christ, then the same confidence can be given to you I was given to the Philippian jailer over 2,000 years ago. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Here is the offer of mercy. 
Here is the two friends of Scripture, the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. And the Spurgeon said, I have no need to reconcile friends. They have never fallen out. They are not at enmity one with another. Yes, God is entirely sovereign, but He gives to you this promise in mercy and in grace. If you come in faith, He will receive you. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Lift up your heart today in faith. Believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. As as Christ would go on through Samaria, He would speak to the woman at the well, and He would illustrate salvation to her in terms of a gift. He says, if you only knew the gift of God, if you only knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked me for the gift. And oh, my friend today, here is the gospel, the gospel that is a gift to you. It can be received. Will you receive Christ today? Or will you reject Him again? Will you once again walk out of this meeting treading under your foot the precious blood of Jesus Christ? Will you once again take it upon yourself to go out into this world not knowing what tomorrow will bring, under the sentence of damnation and wrath? For as Christ would say, whosoever believeth not is condemned. How will you leave? Will you leave today with the sentence of justified, saved upon you? Or will you leave today condemned? You can be saved today, even now as we bow our heads and close our eyes, and we'll seek the Lord together in prayer. I exhort you as your head is bowed, as your eyes are closed, and while perhaps the Spirit of God is working and moving in your heart and nobody knows about it, but you know your sin. You know your separation from God. Will you cry out to God to save you? Will you look to Jesus Christ in faith and say, I believe. I believe in Him. Father in heaven, we thank you for a gospel that never leaves a man hopeless. We thank you, O Lord, for the hope that is in Jesus Christ, for He is full of mercy and pardon. Oh, I pray that pray that there would be those here today that would come to know Christ as their Savior, that would reach out and taste and see that the Lord is good. O oh Lord, even now as they would go out after the communion service and as we sing our final hymn, we pray against the devil that would come, O oh Lord, and seek to steal away the seed of the Word. Lord, I pray that even now that business would be done between earth and heaven, that sinners would find their way to the cross and they would be born again. And that everyone who has gathered in this meeting today and is congregated in this church, that together someday we might look and see together the kingdom of God. For we ask this in thy name. Amen.